All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the USA Powerlifting Podcast, a very special edition today. It is Christmas Eve, and I'm with Wade Johnson all the way from Tennessee. Wade, how's it going? Man, it's great to be with you, Ryan. I'm, I'm excited about this and excited. Uh, we were talking earlier that my son and daughter-in-law are going to be moving to your neck of the woods, and which will lend me to being in your neighborhood. Yes, a couple of and times a year and Phoenix, nothing bad nothing could ba nothing bad could happen <laughs> from that <laughs> i can tell you what we won't be lifting much weights but we'll be, we'll be doing some uh one ounce to 12 ounce curls and in I'm the backyard around the fire you know i know i'm for it yes my man i love it and uh, thank you for taking your christmas eve to talk with me and for all the usa powerlifting supporters fans volunteers and athletes who love listening to this show and getting an inside scoop on what exactly is happening in our organization and the cool stuff that they don't necessarily get to know about every day. And I'm excited to have you because you have this really unique perspective because you've come from other strength sports, you've come from other federations, you've been around the block, as they say, you know, and you also are part of our new international <clears throat> committee. And we definitely want to talk about that a bit later. So stay tuned, folks. If you're interested to, to hear about the great committee we have together for the international arm of USA Powerlifting, Wade's going to be able to share some, some knowledge for you. But I want to start by talking about your history in strength sports. Uh, a lot of people obviously know you. Uh, you stand out in the crowd just kind of like me. Everyone sees you at the meets. You've coached some incredible athletes. You still coach incredible athletes. But I don't know if people really know what an OG you are. So let's tell them a bit about uh, your history and strength sports. Well, when you say OG, what that really means is I've done this for an extremely long period of time. Yeah, I mean, old and, guy, not original yeah, gangster. Yeah, yeah no, shit, no shit, I'm old. <laughs> but uh, as a kid, my father... Um, was a really large, really strong guy. He was someone that I always wanted to emulate. Um, I, I never lifted weights with him. We never, we played softball, we played basketball and he was, a, he was a really good softball player. And, but he would do things. We, you know, I grew up on a farm. We would, we would work on things. And then my initial strength came from doing all the farm work that I did with him, you know, carrying things. That's how I learned about farmer's walk and single finger was we built a barn. He and I would carry these 600 pound posts when I was a young teenager. You stand it up, it's a 20 foot post and you finger it and, and walk it up until it's high enough to set it in the ground. And somebody has to be strong enough to hold it level while the other person, you know, tamps it in place. And so those types of things are where originally my strength came from. And I realized that I was stronger than average and weightlifting came a little later uh, because of, of my music background, but uh, that's something we can talk about another time. But when I started competing, um, I started out in NASA, like we talked about and, uh, did a lot of lifting there. I did a lot of lifting with uh, the APA and became their state and reach Southeastern regional chairperson. And along the way, I got involved in strongman and got involved in weightlifting and I've competed in, in those sports as well. So uh, that was my beginnings. And, um, you know, so I'm not sure, you know, that that answers your question, but. Oh, it definitely um, does. And, and I ask because I think you have incredible perspective <clears throat> that a lot of power lifters don't necessarily have, especially those that, that have come around, you know, in the last five to six years. 
uh, you you have been in other strength sports in other federations, and you've seen how things are done. But you managed to land here with us in USA Powerlifting, and I know early on you you tried to to get involved with us, and it didn't necessarily pan out. But now you've been with us for for quite a while. You've you've coached some incredible world champions. Uh, what are you most excited about being part of USA Powerlifting? Well, to go back a little bit, I was I was part of the WPO meets when they were at the Arnold in the show of strength in Atlanta. And those were great events. And there was such a, a huge amount of hype and, and energy at those meets. And the first couple of years at USA powerlifting took those over. Um, it was a little bland and that's that, you know, that's a polite way of putting it. It wasn't that the meets were bad. It's just that you come on the tail end of these WPO events and they're super exciting and super energy. And and then you don't have you don't have that energy that same energy and same type of production and this was back in probably 08 when we first started i think so i i I couldn't tell you specifically but what has changed in that time is the production value of these events and so that energy is not only back i think it surpasses it And, and and the spotlight is really on a broad spectrum of lifters where, you know, in the WPO days, and this is an indictment, it's just a fact, you would have the the token female lifter from time to time in the WPO event. And now you have everybody, everybody has a, a place to lift, you know, that at a high level at the Arnold. And, um, you know, in nationals, you know, again, production is a very big and important thing for you and I because of our backgrounds. And just like at nationals I, uh, in Lombard, you know, I did, I took a video panning where there's five platforms and behind each platform is a video wall. And there's a huge, there's a sound guy with a huge PA system and a lighting guy, you know, and this takes me back to my, you know, my touring days where, you know, you would have a full blown PA, you know, that you could, you could play a 20,000 seat, you know, arena with. And so that type of energy is what excites me. What excites me more is that all those things now are happening, happening on a tested platform, you know, and and with my history, and you know, this as well as I do, I competed and lifted in federations and other sports, they simply didn't test. And for me, it was about challenging myself to, to be as good as I could be knowing that I was going to be competing against guys that, that, you know, that weren't being tested. Yeah. And, uh, and now to have this type of production, this type of leadership, I think that's also important to note. It's a big one. And, and, and not just leadership, but vision. That is something that excites me. Um, and something that I want to be part of, and they're interested in what I have to say. And that always, you know, that always lends to me being want to be more involved. It's like, Hey, I really think I have something important to say. And sometimes in the past that's been shrugged off, you know, and obviously right now I asked to be in the middle of it and here I am. And you are in the middle of it. I love <laughs> that you said visionary, visionary, uh, it speaks to me, right? Because I, I myself am a visionary in my day to day as a marketing consultant and marketing leader. Uh, and I know how powerful vision is and how powerful, powerful, good leadership is in the, in the long term. And that's what we're talking about here. A lot of people, I think, only see what's right in front of them. They see the most immediate drama, the most immediate 
facts and don't understand how five years from now things play out. They don't understand the momentum that USA powerlifting has had for the last 35, 40 years and where that's taking us. And leadership is a big one. You know, our executive committee has changed and moved. We've had Larry uh, as our president for quite a while, and there's power in that kind of institutional knowledge and experience. And when we get to include great minds like yourself and open the forum up to help from everyone, which we have done an incredible job of the last couple of years, especially through COVID, open and honest communication, full transparency. I love that people recognize it and appreciate it because I think for a while we weren't doing such a good job at it. And I can say that because I'm also the one who helps spread that transparency and spread that message, you know. Uh, and I'm happy to see it and that people are responding positively and how many people are on the same side as us and see things the same way you do. You talk about being in the fold now and having a voice. I think it might be a good time to talk about the International Committee, which we've talked about in some releases on social media. You know, we put a call out for those who want to be a part of it. And you guys just had your very first International Committee meeting. Is that right? That is correct. Um, basically what that meeting covered, um, there's a lot of things that right now are going to be really close to the vest, not because Obviously, this yeah. is some top secret thing. I mean, we're, it, it's clear, you know, by, by the name of the committee, what we're working towards. But a lot of this is about making sure that everybody that is involved, because there's a lot of moving parts. This is not a one person situation. It's a committee there. And there's people that we're communicating with that are hitting up that committee who then have to take it, you know, to the home office and the executive committee. And we have to make sure one that all that information is absolutely correct and that everybody simultaneously has that correct information before it can be, you know, before we can make any sort of announce announcement, right. you know, which is where you're going to come in as well. And, you know, so it's, it's going to be a wheels initially turning slowly thing as we learn to navigate how we're going to communicate these things and, in and asking questions and, and, and it's on the website, you can see on the website, there's a job form for anybody that's interested in running an international meet. And that's the genesis of, of where this information is coming from and, and reaching out to people. And, and, you know, right now we're trying to get a feel for, you know, where the membership is and, and there's representation across the board, you know, from, from young lifters, you know, all the way up through the highest of master lifters. And, you know, there's a lot of hoops and, and loops to kind of, to, to navigate, with uh, legal stuff, there's drug testing and doping issues that we've got to make sure are in line. And then there's a standard. And I think, I think that's the thing that can't be overlooked. It's, it's easy to talk about the mechanics of whether their judges are certified, do they have equipment, you know, and doping and stuff like that, but there's a standard. And that's the thing that we have to work towards, you know, upholding to the absolute highest, there's going to be growing pains. And, and, and I said this on our podcast a, a couple of nights ago, it's not, it's not like I can fly to Phoenix in a few hours and do a site visit. You know, we're talking about locations that are on the other side of the planet. And especially we're still in the midst of this pandemic that creates some challenges as well, because not each country has the same policy and, you know, not to mention all the things that I, that I mentioned previously, there's hoops to jump through. It's not just like, well, we're going to run the doping control. It's not that simple. And so we've got a lot of smart people, a lot smarter than me that are involved. 
And uh, these people are, are on board and want to work really hard to see that we offer the best product possible and the best, this is something that I think is important. We're no longer running meets. We are running events that create an experience. And wow. as long as we, as long as we continue, it, it's even at a, see, now I go back far enough and we were talking about this earlier. I used to run meets all the time. It's no big deal. You know, I had a little headset wireless that I could actually run. Now we had monoliths, you know, so I was, I was the chairperson for the APA. I ran their world meet at Opryland hotel in 2005 to tell you how far back I go running meets to run the international meet. Um, excuse me, here in Nashville. And uh, I would run the monolift along with the spotters and be announcing from my wireless headset. Well, there's, there's no way in hell we would allow that now. And, uh, and nor should we. And then there was no laptop. There was, you know, hardwired lights and overhead you know, projector. Not even that. We just had scoring on a piece of paper. Excuse me. It just didn't exist. And, uh, you know, every little cent that I had in the world was invested in that equipment. And so, you know, now we, uh, we ran Jennifer Milliken and I co-directed, uh, a USA powerlifting meet here where we live in Mount Juliet, which is just outside of Nashville. I'm really close to the airport for anybody that's familiar. And we had 30 lifters. I had one, two, three, four, five, five TVs that had laptops, two PA systems, one for the main platform and one that ran into the warm-up area. Excuse me just a second. <coughs> um, you know, different TVs for the warm-up area so they could see the order of the events and uh, the ref lights and, you know, a whole myriad of equipment. Uh, warm-up equipment. We ran it in a gym and I brought warm-up equipment. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I think is important that we keep expanding what we offer because now we're, you know, for that world meet, just to give you an example, I charged an $85 entry fee for that fee. You got a really cool, it was a cool t-shirt. You got a participation medal and we gave trophies away from places one through five. You know, now we're charging $100 to $125 a meet, and you get a medal. And sometimes people, you know, give a T-shirt. Now, the difference is, is the experience is exponentially higher. We ran a great meet at the time, but for basically our big day was about 80 lifters. It took us all day to run that event. You know, we started the event at 9 o'clock uh, for the for the powerlifting meet we just ran by two 30, not only were we done, but all the equipment was loaded and we were leaving. Amazing. That is a very different experience. And it's great for the lifters because, you know, when you, when you, when you go to an event, you want to see your friends, you want to see other lifters that, you know, you want to make new acquaintances and you want to have a great meet at a great venue with great equipment and very consistent rules and enforcement of those rules and see that they're being tested. So we know that this platform is legit. I mean, I think that, you know, being legit makes it a better experience. Absolutely. Um, so that's, that's the, you know, and, and so those are the things that have changed so much. And I think that's what, it, what it really comes down to is that when we, when we run an event, 
We want people to have a great experience, not That's a great so meal, big. a great experience. I wanted to, to, to stop there and talk about it a bit more because I couldn't agree more. And it has clearly been an experienced product for the last five years. And it has only improved because of the, the combined efforts of everyone, right? Tons of volunteers, the leadership, of course, to, to, to understand because they themselves are lifters, what they like, what they want, and to apply that so that the lifters now have the most amazing experience. You talked about Lombard uh, for nationals, and that is by far one of the best meets I've ever participated in for both open nationals and raw nationals that year. They were incredible. And as someone who's been to about 10 IPF meets uh, abroad, who has stayed in really awful hotels, who has eaten really bad food, who has not had <laughs> a good platform abroad, I can tell you that it was such a nice refresher of what the sport could be and should be and how USA Powerlifting is leading the way. Lifters who are listening, who are, who are relatively new or maybe on the fence about joining USA Powerlifting, Wade talked about his local meet having five TVs and great warm-up equipment and talked about how the, the, the time frame changed from how it used to be to how it is now. My very first meet was in 2009 in Austin, Texas. I showed up at 8 a.m. and I didn't get done until 11 p.m. There was no TVs. You had no idea who was next. There were overhead projectors. You kind of just had to pay attention. Uh, that's not to say it was a bad meet. That was just the way we did things back then. Uh, but now we do things differently. Your warm-up room is no longer loaded with ancient, old high school uh, bench presses and squat stands with rusty weights and bent barbells. There, the standard now is um, calibrated discs on uh, spec equipment with, you know, Elico bars. And I don't want to say newer lifters are spoiled, but anytime spoiled. I see someone, yes, they are. Well, anytime I see someone complain about not having an Elico set in the warm up room, I kind of want to talk to them face to face and let them know that they're spoiled and they need, they need some perspective and maybe I could just sh shake it into them a little bit. So they know oh, yeah. how good they have it. Uh, that, that's not to be rude and mean. I'm just saying, understand where we've come from and how great the reality in USA powerlifting is now and be excited for what we have in the future, because we are oriented to your experience. We are focused on giving you and your family a wonderful sports uh, competition and to give you a level of competition that means something and that you can compete for like the pro series. Well, that's, that's an interesting segue. That is something it's no secret. And you're, and I understand you're throwing me a beach ball here, you know, to see if I can hit it with a bat. And the answer <laughs> to that is yes. I mean, I have, here's the thing there, there's two, I say this a lot. And so I'm being repetitive. If you've heard me in another podcast recently in business, there's two directions to be successful you can take something that someone is doing and do it better, or you can do it well and do it differently. And considering the circumstances where a lot of people I think are, are seeing this split with the IPF as a negative, I see it as a positive and a very unique opportunity in time where given, given the boundaries that we were, we were under, and I, I think that's a polite way of putting it, um, we would not, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And now that we're not under the confines of those, those rules, whether anyone liked them or not, it allows us to not only do something that is being done in a manner that is better, we can do some things differently. <clears throat> oh yeah. 
the pro concept is going to be yet another an, another carrot, if you will, for of things for people to strive for. And the fact that, which is unheard of, you have some sports that offer, you know, uh, an an avenue of pro for masters, but but they're few and far between. And certainly in the strength world of strength, it's just unheard of. All the way up, you know, through the the M4s, there's a, there's a pro, and they're including equipped and raw. And so it gives you something to shoot for and how that will be used in the, in the international aspect that remains to be seen. It is certainly being discussed that much. I can assure you about and how we work those out. But the idea also is how can we be more inclusive? Now, inclusive is kind of a dangerous term in, in our world, but you have to meet the criteria. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Yep. And so, um, it will be something that is going to be done differently. Uh, one of the things when we had uh, Josh Rohr on uh, powerlifting mastered, and the here's here is where leadership and vision, as we've been talking about, really comes into play. It was decided on how to fund the current pro situation and how to make it sustainable. These are these are. Uh, um, conversations that Larry and I had extensively, we both agreed that to do any type of pro outlet, it had to be sustainable and it had to be self-sustaining because not unlike the situation with this whole water compliant thing with the IPF, it was going to, it would ultimately bankrupt us. It would ultimately take away from our full membership and, and selling out your membership for a chosen few is never the direction, not a direction I want to be part of. I'll put it that way. Amen. And so, um, this, the, the decisions were made with the funding, how it could be self-sustaining that if there were no partnerships, if there was no sponsorship and currently there are none, the money is available to run this outlet as we are right now. And that speak, that speaks volumes to leadership and vision. And that's, 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 again, that's yet another reason why. I, I want to be involved and want to be part of it and want to lend whatever, whatever I can bring to the table, not only to make this happen, but for us to grow the pro outlet is where we're going to grow in, in a, in a bigger direction because the current model, we we've, I think we've taken that to its limit. Look at, look at all these other federations. It ebbs and flows a little bit, but it's basically stayed the same. And if we're going to grow, we have to do something different. We have to do something more and we have to do it all better. Absolutely. And I imagine you saw part of the live stream or highlights from the Virginia pro, our first pro series meet. And right. oh my goodness, was I impressed. I, I, I had low expectations, not because it's a bad thing, but because I've seen some incredible meets and I thought, oh, it's another meet. The, the, the stream was incredible. The platform, the, the, the crowd, I mean, and the performances of the athletes, my goodness, there is no doubt in my mind, USA powerlifting has the strongest and most exciting powerlifters in the world here. Well, I think that goes without, I mean, I always go back to this. The first uh, IPF Worlds that I coached at was in Belarus and LS McLean was lifting. And I don't, because he's not a super heavyweight. I don't know how much, I don't know what his weight class is. And uh, <laughs> that's, again, that's not an indictment on LS. I just, he's just smaller than a super. Yeah. I don't know. What we only have, we have letters in our weight class. So that's all we really know. <laughs> I got you. Bro. Uh, but this guy that year placed third at nationals, placed third. 
And whoever was first and second couldn't be at the meet, so LS got to go, and he wins gold. Now, so what does that tell you about the talent pool? It tells I mean, you it that is, it's here in the United States. That's You're exactly right. And uh, we covered this on Powerlifting Mastered uh, a couple of nights ago, talking about equipped lifting, that <clears throat> the Americans aren't quite as dominant, but they're fairly dominant. And uh, when I was in Pontchastroon, a majority of the lifters was the American team across the board. You, you know, if, if the master's team is not at that meet, it's smaller than a lot of local meets we have. Yeah. And that's just the truth. Yep. And so there's a lot to be said for that. And then when you see meet directors like Saber, I mean, and this guy shares his, this, he's not trying to be exclusive with his knowledge. He's posting stuff going, look, here's my email address. If, if you have questions, you know, shoot me an email, you know, because he want, he's not unlike everybody else that's involved. We want to see the production values continue to go up and, and the higher that those values go up, then the product continues to improve and get better. And, and that's what we're all after. Heck yeah. I think it's a good time to talk about some coaching. There's a lot of powerlifting coaches out there. Uh, and I know there's quite a few listening or, or those who who dream of being a powerlifting coach who love the idea of helping others, lifting others up. Coaching is super important in life, not just in sport. You have been a coach for a very long time. And I'm curious, what are some of your proudest moments as a coach here in USA Powerlifting? In USA Powerlifting, uh, it would have to be the there's there's two in particular. <clears throat> both of them, you know, featuring uh, Jennifer Milliken, who is not only someone I coach, she's a training partner, but most importantly, Jennifer and I are extremely close and really good friends. And uh, I mean, that's my beer drinking buddy right there. And, <laughs> Heck yeah. And she, you know, I have a great relationship. She's got great family support. You know, I, I, her husband's a great guy, great kids, just a great family. And uh, as a matter of fact, we're spending Christmas Eve with them a little later today, you know, so she and I are really tight, but to be able to be a part of her first win in Belarus, um, my coaching style, uh, let me, let me give you an example. Um, that stoic football coach, like a Tom Landry, you know, somebody would intercept Rogers pass. Now I'm really dating myself because most of you guys don't know who Roger Staubach was, <laughs> but he'd throw a pass and it'd get intercepted and they'd run it back for a touchdown. He's just stoically looking out and, you know, on the field or, you know, Roger throws a touchdown pass. His emotion is the same. I'm not that guy. And, and you know that I'm yelling. You can hear me on the live stream yelling cues, but with Jennifer, Jennifer is, is, not that she's not excitable, that, that's not what I'm saying, but she's very smart. She's very cerebral. So I'm looking at staying, keeping her focused. And by doing so, I remain as calm as I can. And that's the way it was in Belarus. There wasn't a lot of discussion. We knew what the plan was. It had been worked on and honed. And to see that, the highlight, to see it come to fruition, because all that everybody sees is the result they see the meet and you see jennifer win and that's all you see you don't see all the obstacles and the challenges and there's a huge story behind just getting to belarus and to have that moment you know and jennifer's jennifer's pretty close to the the vest emotionally she doesn't 
shouldn't get too excited in one direction or the other. And for her in that moment, you know, as a coach, once she won and, and, and she's back in the back and getting high fives and hugs, I kind of walked away. I wanted her to have her moment and really enjoy it. And, um, Susie, uh, Gary caught the moment between Jennifer and I, she said, Hey, Jennifer needs you. Jennifer comes to me, puts her head in my chest and starts crying. Of course, you know, I'm at that point in my life where I can't even watch a Christmas commercial, you know, that, you know, that pulls on the heartstrings where I got to run to the bathroom and cry. And, um, I mean, of course that destroyed me because she, you know, she, she had finally let her guard down and let the moment take her. And what a, what a special, special time, uh, for her and, and for me, because I got to be there with her. And then the second one is when we were in Calgary, again, a lot of obstacles overcome to get there and she did not have a great day, but it was a great coaching day where she learned, you know, sometimes you, you know, you're not having your best day, but on a day that she wasn't at her best, she was still the best. Amazing. And at the end of the day, end of the day, nobody's looking at her total. At the end of the day, she won her second IPF World Championship. Absolutely, and that is you know, and for me, that's one of my favorites to overcome all the things that were going wrong in the meet, and and keeping your composure, handling the situation with a modicum of grace, you know, and staying disciplined, even though she was extremely disappointed. At the end of the day, you can't argue with a gold medal. It, it's it's for real and no one ever 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 can take that away from you so in the usapl usa powerlifting that to me as a coach those two are, are are the big highlights thank you for sharing that some really great stories with jen milliken and you and of course you know when you talked about you know an emotional moment with her and how you know you cried you know, i'm a crier too and i i remember when i was younger and i first met larry he always said the biggest crybabies in powerlifting are super oh, it's, heavyweight men. It's, it's the, <laughs> we're all the let's same. Speak, let's speak to that. Let's speak. I remember, yeah. I, I think it was in Lombard. I think you were, you were being, a, you were a technical officer, I think, for one of the platforms. And I, yeah, was, I was coaching someone. And you came up behind me and go, you literally are the only guy here that I have to step to the side so I can see around. <laughs> and there's something to that. I've been at meets. There's a fraternity with big people. Absolutely. And I'm not talking about the guy that's six feet tall, 200 pounds. That's not a big guy. That's average. I'm talking about guys. Whoa, you're going to make some people upset. I don't, I don't care. You know what? I, I don't care. You can be as pissed off as you want to be. Six <laughs> feet tall, 200 pounds was big when I was in high school. That was a long damn time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> Most yeah. of you guys listening weren't even born. So I don't want to hear shit from anybody. <laughs> you're little. You're still little. You're I'm f- with you, bro. Yes. So when you're over six feet tall, and over 300 pounds, the world is a different place for you. Absolutely. There is not a lot of things in the world that are made for you that you can, you can't fit in a car and they go, well, get a big one. Look, I've I've got a big car and I still struggle to get in that damn thing. Try to buy clothes, buy a suit. So, you know, I I wear a 62 jacket. Yours is probably bigger than mine. No, it's not. I actually wear a 56 long. There's no way in hell I could get a 56. 56 long. Oh, man. But but when you put that on, it's made for a guy that weighs 500 pounds. That's right. The curse of being big and tall. You know, or you get, I have to get shirts. Just as an example, 
my uh, wingspan or whatever they call that is 35, 36. I have to get a 37, 38 because if I wear a 35, 36, because of my traps, it pulls the sleeves up and I, I can't, I can't button the sleeve. I'm not going to lie. That's an awesome problem to have because your traps are so big. <laughs> There's people listening that wish they had that problem, Wade, wish well, their traps were that jacked. You know, so, but there's a lot of things that regular size people take for granted that we, you know, that's, that's a conversation for private because nobody of, wants, of course, but I mean, it's just, you know, and, and just eating, you know, it's, but, but big people are a fraternity and it's, it's that way in all sports. When you see those big guys, it's, it's like family. You, you, when I was in uh, South Africa, I'll never forget Valentin Petru was one of the guys, he was the silver medalist. Uh, because I, because I won, right? Oh, I heck yeah. Game. Little plug. And, uh, so, horn. so I remember they were, uh, I asked Robert Crawford, who was weighing us in. I said, so how did I do? He goes, well, you're the heaviest one we got. And Valentin goes big boy. And, uh, that's what the guys called all the guys. There was like five or six of us. They never called me Wade. They just called me big boy, you know, and that's from other guys that are in the super heavyweights. So anyway, I know that that's an aside and we got off track there. That's fine. But, people like uh, to hear it. And everyone, there's lots of big guys listening and powerlifting is a sport of big people. So, well, and well, I say this all the time when they talk about, you know, pound for pound, just so we're clear on, on how reality really works. When people go to the circus, Ryan, they don't go to see the monkeys. They go to see the elephants. Heck yeah. Say you know, it twice called, for the people in the back. That, that's wisdom. My friend, that is yes. wisdom. It is never about the monkeys. No, they're cool. They're really cool. But the elephants, that's the show, my friend. That's why people come. We need to print that, put it on a t-shirt and sell it because that's what I've been hearing from uh, the elder statesman in powerlifting my whole life as a big guy. And hearing you say it just fills me with pride. Yes, they come to see the elephants, folks, and don't forget it. All right, let's get back on track. Let's talk about briefly, because we, we are running out of, out of time here. Uh, what are the ramifications of IOC recognition and water testing? That's a really big thing that a lot of people don't understand. And I just want to hit something high level real quick for those listening that are, are maybe on the fence of, you know, hey, am I lifting with USA Powerlifting? Am I not? Am I going to be in the Olympics? I don't think you understand what being in the Olympics means. IOC recognition, the moment that happens, we lose all control of our sport. If USA Powerlifting were to be recognized, uh by the usoc overnight we lose our leadership we get people installed in our organization to help run it we may have one seat i don't know the specifics you know ioc recognition is not all it's cut out to be and that's evident anytime you look at the news you look at ioc you you, you talk about corruption and i don't want to go too far down that path and talk about those things necessarily wade but but can you explain to us briefly what that other side of the coin looks like and why it may not be the best for uh the, the experience of the power lifter well first i apologize for my dogs in the background I, I i'm sure i'm getting a delivery so i apologize for that but uh well i mean let's look at the problem that we were having as an example if we became water compliant we lost control of our doping we're not we're not testing at the local level which which i think is 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 a huge mistake Yep. And, and it's part of our ethos. So we'll never say, yeah, I mean, the, the whole mission statement is to provide a drug-free platform. How do we do that? If we're not testing at the local level, the grassroots, the local level 
and the majority of our membership are those people. And if we're not drug testing that, how, how do we, how do we maintain our mission statement? We simply can't, we'd have to change that. Then just like you said, we lose control. This is just being water compliant, let alone IOC and, and USOC, you know, that sort sort of situation then it becomes, it's the financial responsibility and feasibility. You want me to sell out 97 to 99% of my membership. So 1% is water compliant. And it only, that's only for the open lifter to the point that would make us financially insolvent within a couple of years. There's no way I can get behind that. We have no control who's getting tested. We don't get to choose. We don't even know who they're testing. Without that control, we can't provide a drug-free platform. And if, we are, if we're not testing at the local level, let's take it a step further. Right now, they're trying to say in 2028, there is no Olympic weightlifting. Now, think about that. Think about the gravity of that. So they're water compliant, are they not? They are, they are water compliant, yes. Oh, and so, they have... so that means they're not testing at the local level. And you mean to tell me that that is... That sets a precedence that allows you to have a stage that is drug-free. There's no way in hell. There's no way that that is happening. And when so when you don't do that, you create more problems. And why are they not going to be in the Olympics? It's because of their, their doping issues and their lack of, of sound leadership. Call it. Let's go, you know, don't... Don't piss on my leg and then tell me it's raining, you know, because here's the deal. Without without the proper leadership without doping and doping at every level, especially the local level, there, there's no boundary. And, and because of that, that's the problem that Olympic lifting is having now in being part of the Olympics. And you want me to be part of that. You want, you want me to sell out the membership for, to, to, and be water compliant. So we're, so we can be in the Olympics. I'm never going to be for that. I don't think it's good for the sport and I don't think it's the direction we need to go. No, uh, very well said, Wade. And we would we would lose all these great opportunities, like giving away basically a quarter million dollars to people, video walls, audio, visual, video production, commentary. I mean, all of the experiences that we have currently and that we're going to have in the future, we would lose all of it. So, thank you for sharing that. It's always great to hear it from uh, from someone else uh, with with a different perspective. So, I thank you for sharing that. I want to end our wonderful podcast today. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you for your time again. We're goal setting people, right? We're lifters, we're coaches, uh, we're business people, we're career oriented. Goals are a huge part of our life. And we're coming at the end of the year, you know, there's six, uh, seven days left until the new year. And so I'm wondering, what are you excited about next year? What are some goals you have your eyes on? And what's a bourbon you're looking to hunt down? <laughs> well, um, I am helping Jennifer Milliken. Uh, we'll do a few, I'll be doing a few things by proxy just because we both feel like it's, it's that important. There's just, there's no way one person can do all that work. And so I'm reaching out. I'm excited about cultivating things. I think, and, and you and you may ask yourself as I'm getting into this, how can that be anything to do with the international situation? Well, the stronger our situation is at home, and let's be clear, home is home base is, has to be not only in order, we have to continue to cultivate it. We There's a season to sow and a season to reap. 
And right now we're in the infancy stage of some new things. And so it's our season to sow. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited because it's going to allow us to involve a lot more people, whether it be more lifters, more meat directors, and, and those types of things under the standard, you know, that we have set. And so that means more high quality events. That excites me. We're running more meets locally. That excites me. Um, I'm eager to see now with this pro situation, what the Arnold, you know, the Arnold is always a great meet. There's yeah. always a lot of energy. Now we've got this pro concept and you're going to see a slew of new lifters get involved. That means the competition is only going to be stronger. And I, to, to me, don't forget, I'm a, not only, not only am I a coach and I'm doing all these things, but I'm still a lifter. You know, I won my last world meet was in 2019. I I'm still, I'm still a lifter. I'm still an athlete. And the bigger issue, the bigger thing is I'm a fan. I mean, I love watching, I, you know, I watch reruns of the world's strongest man and the Strongman league. And, you know, I watch the, I watch the world championships. I watch Lasha, you know, snatch 225 kilos was about the most insane thing I've ever seen in my life. Incredible four reds just out of this world bonkers. So those are the things that excite me seeing new lifters come in. Um, the thing that I'm really excited about too, is where you see people we've, we've had this big run of raw lifting and, and I think that's always going to continue. I don't foresee it being a thing where equipped comes back and takes back over, but I think you're going to see people that are curious about it. We we're, it's happening here in the gym. Uh, we have somebody that has competed raw, but won nationals equipped in a shirt and now is going to the pro aspect at the Arnold. That's to me is very exciting. I think yeah. the, the more we expand the pool of lifters, however we do it under this, you know, under the, the way we do things and the standard we do them, I think that's very exciting. And so that means, you know, we're, we're going back to the traditional weight classes that excites me. Uh, because then it's about powerlifting. It's not powerlifting first, not the Olympics. I, let's let's we're not going to the Olympics. So let, I'm excited that we're not going to the Olympics. I, let, me, <laughs> let me say it that way. But I'm excited that we now have a situation with the pro, with the, with the pro aspect that can be cultivated, and who knows where it's going to go. I like the fact that we don't know exactly where it's going to go because we can cultivate it, and the membership can be part of that growth. And it'll morph and evolve in how it's supposed to because of the involvement of the membership. And that's what's going to dictate it. And, and I'm, that excites me. I mean, we have a lot of lifters that are going to be lifting in, in multiple sports. We, we, do three, we, we, we do three sports here, and I do strength training for wrestlers. So we, you know, we have kids that go to state every year and stuff like that. So I'm always excited about that. I'm always excited about how my little operation is evolving. You know, but as far as USA powerlifting, I'm super pumped about the direction of these meets are going to change for forever. We're going to go a different route. And based on what I do know that I, that I, that I'm not at liberty to share the ideas of the international committee, I'm extremely excited. I'm extremely oh, excited oh, to the people boy. that I'm talking to. And I, and here, here's what I want people to understand. And this is what, this is what I'm most excited about. USA powerlifting is open for business. Don't, don't, don't think for a second that this is going anywhere, but up 
you got a lot of people that are putting not only time, but they're putting their money where their mouth is as well. And this is going to happen. Now, what direction it goes, you know, how it grows, how it evolves, could it change? Most certainly those things could have, could some things fail? It's not unlikely, but here's what I know. We're going to, to be a successful power lifter, you have to be committed, you have to be disciplined, and you have to show up. And that's what's happening with leadership. We're disciplined, we're committed, and we're going to continue to do these things until we've, we find the right fit and the right direction to go using the standard that we have set, we are going to be successful. That much I believe, and more so that much I'm excited about. Bravo. I have nothing else to add. I hope you all <laughs> listen closely to Wade's great speech there. Uh, you got me full of warm fuzzies and excitement for the vision. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you shared that with everyone so you can fill them with positive energy going into 2022. Wade, thank you again for spending your Christmas Eve with me and all the listeners here. I know that they appreciate it and got a lot of good information and some good insights. Um, again, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We wish you a happy holidays and a happy new year, and we will see you on the platform. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.